Um, we're going to keep on going through Exodus, so let's uh, meet up in Exodus chapter 4. Uh, we're going to go back to that uh, story that kind of interrupted our story last week, where it looked like God tried to kill Moses. Um, we're going to talk about that this week. Um, I think there's good news in there, and I'm also going to, we're also going to use this passage or let this passage be our scripture for our communion meditation. So you probably notice we haven't taken communion yet. Um, consider this sermon an extended communi- communion meditation. Um, so we'll finish out with communion and then some worship. So Exodus chapter 4, uh, verses 24 to 27 is what we'll go to together. You there? Let's uh, stand together. Only three verses, so you won't be up that long. I know the past few weeks have been like a chapter and a half each Sunday. So this is after Moses um, leaves the mountain with God and heads and is on his way to Egypt with his family. And it says, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. So God let Moses alone. And it was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Father, we thank you for your word. Especially today, we thank you for all of it. It's all good. It's all profitable. You instruct us through it all. You, you reveal yourself through it all. Open our eyes today. Amen. So over the past um, seven or eight years, I've found myself in multiple situations where I've had to, to, to address situations where I've had to play mediator or, or, or walk somebody through a conflict resolution process. Um, it first started in about 2012 or 13 when I um, became the recreation guy for a, a after-school day program for first to sixth graders. So almost every day, whether it be in the gym or in the field or on the playground, I'd have to approach a situation to where two young kids are fighting. And I think, okay, one, I've got to do something about this. Um, so two, I'll get closer and I'll ask some questions. And those questions will hopefully give me answers that'll help me formulate an action plan. Um, so I did this at this day center. I did it when I coached basketball for College Heights. I did it um, as an RA in my dorm. Um, I've done this continually of approaching a situation, asking questions, forming an action plan after that. Um, that's how I want to approach this, this passage today. Um, from a distance, it looks like God and Moses have something going on. So, so I want us together to walk close to this passage, to ask some questions of, of God specifically, and then the, the answers of those questions, I think, will help us form an action plan of what we do with this passage and with what God's saying in this text. Sound like a plan? Great. So the first question we'll ask is, well, Lord, what's this about? Um, what's all this actually about? And I think God, he would say, can I remind you that I'm a covenant-keeping God, that, that I'm a covenanting God? Um, he, he'd jog our memory by walking us way back in Moses' family line and sitting us down with Abraham. Um, when God decided he wanted to reinitiate close relationship with human beings after the fall, he walked to Abraham's house and started a, a covenant with Abraham and his family. Um, a covenant in the simplest form is an agreement. 
So God made an agreement with Abraham and his family. And it's in this agreement that God stepped back into close relationship with humanity. And, and through this covenant, God has been in close relationship with humanity for three, three to four thousand years now and counting. Um, God comes into close relationship through covenants. He's, he's a covenant, a covenanting God. This is important for us to know that God is a covenanting God because this means that God has a specific way that he wants to relate to people and a specific way that people can come into relationship with him. Um, in, 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 in a society where we're removed from the, the, the far, from the ancient Near East in time and space where covenant isn't a common thing, it's good for us to remind ourselves of this. Especially in a place where spirituality and religion can be seen as an, as an expression of the individual. Of, I have my own way to connect with God and it's good. And these people over here have created their own way to connect with God and it's good. And we have our own special ways. And who are you to say one way is better than one, another way? And who's your God to say this way works and that way works? As long as we're trying our best and doing good and feeling like we're connecting with God, it's all good. So who are you? I had a preacher, I heard a preacher say this once. He said, God's not exclusive, but he's specific. He's, he's not exclusive in who can come into relationship with him. He's just very specific on how you come into relationship with him. It's through his covenant. He, he's invited all to the giant house party, but he says, you got to come in the house the way I said you come in the house. If I say you come in the house through the front door, you can't go through the back door. You can't come in through the window. You don't slide down the chimney. No, everyone can come in, but you got to come in the way I said come in. We don't relate to God on our terms. We relate to him on his terms. We don't come to him as we want to come. We come as he tells us to come. He's a covenant to God. And so this covenant, it involves God giving and it involves God requiring. On one, God, he, he promised to give Abraham and his family all kinds of blessings. Um, one of my favorite preachers, Augustine, he said, out of all the blessings that God promised Abraham, the greatest of those blessings is himself. So, so, so think of it almost as like a marriage type thing, but on a greater level. Um, some of you who are married, husbands, wives, um, you got a lot when you got married. You, you got a house, some of you, some of you got a car, some of you got a dog, some of you got, got a new whole half of the family, some of you got some surprises, some of you got a better credit score, some of you got a lot of stuff when you got married. But the best thing you got when you got married was that person you got married to. Moreover, you got that person in a way that other people don't get that person. You, you got them wholly. You got them in a way their parents didn't get them. You got them in a way their best friends never get them. You, you get this person in a more intimate way than anyone else gets them. This is, this is how God covenants with people. It's a marriage type relationship to where he says, the greatest thing I'm giving you is me and I'm giving you me in a way that others outside of the covenant don't get me. Listen to what he tells the people of Israel. He tells them in in Exodus 19, we'll get here in a few weeks. He says, the whole earth is mine, but I will be yours and you will be mine. All of it's mine, but we'll especially be in relationship with one another. And that's the blessing. Uh, let me parenthetically pause and say some of my friends, if if I'm going through it right now, I, I'd remind myself because of this, because God giving himself is his greatest blessing, then I'm always blessed. Um, 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 the car keeps breaking down. 
uh, I might have been laid off from my job. I might be getting sick, but that doesn't mean I'm not blessed. No, I'm blessed because being blessed is about who I have and not how things are going. So, so, so give me God and I'm good. Give, give me God and sickness and I'm good. I don't want to minimize, but I'm just saying God's the greatest blessing. Give me God and a broke down car and I'm good. Give me God and a fallen in house and I'm good. I'm always blessed. So, so he gives blessings. Then he says he requires circumcision. So, so circumcision, it's a, it's a personal process because it's aimed at the, the most personal part. I think most males would agree. Mo, the most personal part of the male body, um, your reproductive organs. It's, it's painful because it involves, well, in Abraham's day, it involved taking a stone probably that was cut off into a spear and, and, and cutting the foreskin off of the flesh. And, and what this thing signified is it signified a complete commitment to God. He introduces circumcision in um, Genesis chapter uh, 15 or 17, I believe. But then in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy and Jeremiah, he talks about this thing called the circumcision of the heart. Where he says in the same way you cut off the, the flesh of your reproductive uh, organ, I want you to cut off your own flesh, the the sinful desires, your sinful nature, other allegiances, other other devotions. I want your heart to be circumcised and you be wholly committed to me. So he says, I want you to circumcise your flesh and it signifies the circumcision of your heart, which is a complete commitment to me. BT dubs, don't you buy any brand of Christianity that that doesn't have God demanding all. Uh, the, the, The Christianities that say, no, he's not. He's good. You just do what you think. That's not real Christianity. God says, I want you to love me. I want you to give me. I want your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength to be devoted to me. What's that mean? Obedience and submission. There's no such thing as a free thinking Christian. He says, I want your whole, whole mind. Listen, believe me, I'm an ENFP on the Myers-Briggs. I'm a floaty, but ain't no such thing as a free spirit Christian. He says, I want your whole heart. Ain't no such thing as a do you Christianity. No, I want all of your strength. God says, I want it all. So, so, so he requires this circumcision. So this is the covenant he made with Abraham. He says, I'll be yours. You'll be mine. I'll give you me. You give me your complete commitment. You circumcise yourself by showing you that. Show, but you show that by circumcising yourself. Everyone who wants to be in this covenant, people circumcises themselves. Um, he, he puts a pun. This is actually in Genesis 17, I believe. You should look it up. So he says, um, I want you to circumcise yourself or cut it. And everyone who doesn't cut it is cut out of the people. Um, that's funny. <laughs> I thought it was. <laughs> Welcome to the people on the live stream. I hope you're laughing. Um, so, so, so fast forward. Fast forward throughout time. And this is the way. And God has this covenant with the people and this family ends up in Egypt and they end up in slavery. And God, he makes good on this covenant by by breaking them out of slavery, bringing them into their own land where it can be him and them. And he calls Moses to lead the people out. So Moses and his family, they pack up, they head back into Egypt to pick up the rest of the Israelites. They stop at a hotel and someone in the family isn't circumcised. We know for sure that Moses's son wasn't circumcised. Uh, because that's the one who his wife circumcised. But there are scholars who believe Moses might not have been circumcised himself. Um, they think, well, maybe when Moses was a baby and Pharaoh was trying to kill all Hebrew boys, Moses' mother never circumcised him to to hide his ethnic identity so she he could live. 
And some people thought that, well, maybe if Moses was circumcised, it was only a halfway circumcision because the Egyptians practiced a half circumcision. And if Moses grew up in the palace, then maybe that's what happened to him. Whatever it was, Moses might not have been circumcised and his son definitely wasn't. And so God, in the middle of the night, it says he seeks Moses' life. He probably made Moses extremely sick as if to say, you're not walking a mile further into my covenant blessings without fulfilling my covenant requirement. I want you to be circumcised. But God, this is Moses. You just spent a chapter and a half. Lord knows how long that was in real time convincing him that you were going to use him and you wanted him to be your deliverer. I don't make no exceptions. But God, his mom didn't circumcise him to save his life. I don't make no exceptions. Maybe he forgot with his son. It's been a crazy past 80 years. He's been on the run as a fugitive. I don't make no exceptions. I think it's good to know that God makes no exceptions. Not only with his circumcise, his circumcision command, but with all of the things he says that he wants his people to do, God makes no exceptions. I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say, there are times where I live my life, the closer I get to Jesus, as if he makes exceptions for me because I'm special. God, they, they're really hard to love and they, they did some stuff that really ticked me off. Surely you understand that I said what I said in the hateful, malicious manner I said it, right? God, this isn't a real example for my personal life. Um, let me preface that. Um, God, we love each other in our hearts. We're married. Surely you're okay with how we've been in bed together. We're married in our hearts, not in real life. You're really, you're surely you're okay with it, right? God, that conservative and the progressive, they're ridiculous and they deserved me to slander them on Facebook. Surely you're okay with, mm. let me tell you about my senior year of high school. I went into my senior year of high school, um, and I thought I'm going to, I'm going to just, uh, waltz my way through. I'm going to be spirit led away from homework and into recreational idea of uh, recreational uh, activities. And, and I'm just going to waltz my way through and not do anything. How did I get there? I said, well, one, I'm a senior. Two, I was all state honorable mention as a junior. So I'm probably going to be all state as a senior. And three, I'm me. So why not do it? That's why I'm going to do it. So this is my plan in, in October, right as basketball season starting, my coach sits us down in the locker room and he says, here are the new rules for this year. You got to have a C average and everything, nothing below a C in any class where you don't play and you don't practice. And I think, oh no, what thou meanest this? This means that, <laughs> this means that I'm not going to be able to be spirit led away from homework and waltz my way through school. And I'm here to say after much prayer and fasting and deliberation and consulting wise counsel of teammates, I decided to continue to be spirit led and persevere in my procrastination and not touch any schoolwork. Um, so a few weeks later, we're in practice and I'm stretching the captain behind you leading everybody in stretches. And I hear a voice from the back of the gym. John, what are you doing? I'm stretching, coach. Um, you've got an F in math. You've got an F in English. And you haven't been to debate class this year. Um, you're not stretching. Come sit down. And so then I'm arguing, but coach, I'm a senior. Coach, I'm going to be all state this year. Coach, I'm me. I'm special. 
he didn't let my special self slide. He said what he said. I want to be extremely specific with you, Christian. He's not letting your special self and your special situation slide. He said what he said. Uh, he, 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 I don't care how, how angry they made you, how, how, how maliciously they treated you. He said, I want you to love those who persecute you. I want you to pray for your enemies. I want you to speak the truth in love. Speak only what is good for building up. I want you to be patient. I said what I said. I don't care how bad last year was financially. I said I want you to be generous. I don't care how ridiculous they might be politically. I don't want you to slander them. I said what I said. So, so this, this is how he treated Moses. This is what his dealing with Moses was. He had this circumcision. Uh, he had this covenant where he said, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you and I want you to be circumcised and no exceptions. I said what I said. And so the next question is then, God, you were about to kill him over that though? I think he'd say, it's not what it looks like on the surface. Um, let, let's go back to high school. My junior year of high school, I went to a Christian school. Um, and me and my friends, we didn't like the education we were getting in our Christian school, um, so, specifically in Bible class. So, um, and now I'm a preacher. Um, so, so we decided to self-educate ourselves during Bible class which ended up being 10 months of us going on a scavenger hunt through the scripture of all the stuff that we thought was cool. Um, so, so the first thing we found is we turned, I mean, like two pages in Genesis and after God's good creation went bad after the fall and there are these Nephilim walking the earth and everybody was wicked. And then in an instant, God sent this flood and wiped everyone out minus Noah and his family. We were like, that's kind of cool. Um, the next story we found was uh, Korah's Rebellion, where, where there are some 250 community leaders in, in the wilderness didn't like that God chose Moses to be the leader. So they did the American thing and formed a committee, and then they did the American thing and protested down at City Hall and made sure that Moses uh, resigned. And God said, well, I'm the one who chose Moses, so, I, so this is an offense against me. And then the next day, God opened up the ground and swallowed them in the ground right there and then shut it back. And we were like, that's really cool. Then there's that story in Acts where uh, the emperor was acting foolish, so God, like, had him eaten up by bugs. We're like, okay. Then the last one was in uh, Acts chapter uh, 4, I believe, where God moved on the church mightily and, 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 and greatly, and everyone decided to be generous and sell their property and give it to the church so that uh, those who are in need can have provision. And then Ananias and Sapphira, they thought, well, we need to be good stewards. So they didn't give all of it. They only gave some of it and said, we gave all of it. And then Peter said, you didn't lie to us. You lied to God. And then they dropped dead right there in the middle of worship. And we were like, okay, God. And that's when we made the mental note to never lie on church property. Um, we only lie at home now. Ten months, I don't remember a single Bible lesson, but the one thing that became apparent to me was that if God wants to kill somebody, he can kill them on the spot. So I want to take that truth and carry it into our story. It says God sought to kill Moses. If God wanted to kill Moses, he would have killed him on the spot. So maybe this is more than God trying to kill Moses. So, so look at the pattern of this. It says God sought Moses' life. 
Zipporah circumcised the boy. God let Moses alone. I don't want to go deep into it, but the, the Hebrew language, it, it almost gives a word picture where he said, God pressures Moses. Moses gets circumcised and God eases up. He, he lets go. Uh, he, he pressured Moses. This change was produced. This thing that Moses was supposed to have done all along finally happens. And then God eases up. It looks like God pressured Moses to produce repentance. That sounds a whole lot like uh, 2 Corinthians 7, don't it? Paul is talking to these people who were, he says they were grieved, distressed, mentally distraught. And Paul says that, that, that there's this thing called godly grief. And, and godly grief leads to repentance unto salvation. He says, I'm not happy that you were grieved. I'm just happy that the product of that grief was repentance. This is how God does. He loves us as children as he applies pressure to produce repentance in us. It's almost like you ever had your no, a broken nose snapped back into place. That thing's all crooked and out of line. And he'll, people, someone, someone applies a whole lot of pressure into it, pushing it back into space. And it's painful. Uh, that pressure is painful. But what that painful pressure does is it puts things back in place. This is what God's doing when he corrects us. This is what he did with the people of Israel where uh, they, they, they'd, they'd worship an idol. God would let them experience the pain or the pressure of, of being in bondage or of being taken over or being in exile. And in that pressure and in that pain is what pushed them to God and to repentance. Or maybe some of you, it's in some of your stories where you said, well, I was on this wild streak and I walked away from Jesus or I didn't know Jesus. And then I went through a really painful situation and God used that painful situation to turn me back towards him. God will use pressure to produce repentance. This is important because we live in a therapeutic culture where we're taught that all things that hurt are bad. Everything that's uncomfortable is bad. Nothing can be good if it doesn't feel good. And within this culture where we will, we'll take all kinds of medication to ease up the pain and we'll, we'll, the job description of a pastor has been to make it not hurt anymore. And, and we'll go to all kinds of people and only choose friends and Tim's laughing because it's true. (laughs) We'll choose all kinds of friends and we'll go to only things that make it feel better. Listen to me. The love of God hurts sometimes. God's love isn't comfortable always, but it's good. I know we're being taught, consciously or unconsciously, to walk away from everything and everybody that's not comfortable. Those friends had some uncomfortable conversations with you that challenged you? Walk away from them. When you get around this that, that community or that church, you feel challenged and uncomfortable about the way you're living, walk away from them. You, your, your wife called you out on something and it's not comfortable. Don't be so quick to walk away from that that you end up walking away from God's uncomfortable correction. Don't be so quick to walk away from the people who will have uncomfortable conversations with you that you end up walking away from God's love. Proverbs, one of the Proverbs says, the wounds of a friend can be trusted. Why, why, why? Because they're healing. They, 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 they make me more like Jesus. I'm glad I have a God 
who loves me so much that he will hurt me in the moment to heal me for eternity. I'm so glad I have that kind of God. So this is what he's doing with Moses. He's he's saying, well, you need to be circumcised. So I'm going to apply some pressure. I'm going to hurt you in the moment, make you sick a little bit, but it'll eternally heal you so you can participate in the covenant blessings. So that's what's going on here. That's God's explanation. So the next question is, okay, God, what do I do about this? That'd be important. Is there something I need to do here? I think God would say, honestly, not much. That's the good news of the passage. God's saying, you don't got to do much about this. So, so Moses, he wrote this passage and he put it in Exodus to tell the people, this is how God treated me. This is how he thinks about you, Israel. He makes no exceptions. If you want to participate in the blessings of the covenant, you've got to be circumcised. And the people of God ran with this for centuries. Jesus comes, Jesus dies, the church is born. And one of the first big debates of the church is, is these new believers in Jesus, do they have to be or do they not have to be circumcised? Acts 15, some say yes, some say no. That crew that said yes went to great lengths, spent a lot of time and money traveling around the Roman Empire in Asia and going to church, to church, to church, setting up seminars and having social media live feeds and live streams and saying, you've got to be circumcised. You got to be circumcised. You got to be circumcised. And this is what Paul's writing to in five of his letters. Romans, Galatians, Colossians, uh, Philippians, can't remember the fifth. It's in this conversation that he's he's writing the majority of his letters. And in Colossians, he says, in Jesus, you were past tense circumcised. Paul, make that make sense. Jesus never took a knife to me. He says. He put off the body of your flesh. He put off your, he put off your flesh, the, the, the total of your flesh, the, the sin nature, the sin desire, the commitment and devotion to other things. Jesus put it off when you believed in him. So Paul's saying, yeah, God requires circumcision, but Jesus gave you a true circumcision. Well, what am I saying? I'm saying we don't got to do much. Just embrace what already happened. I like it because Paul doesn't tell the people to get circumcised in Christ. He says you were. You just embrace what he did. Some that means believe in him. We heard that call already today. If you haven't believed in Jesus, if you walked away from Jesus, you can you can believe him again. We have that text number we're going to throw up after this. I'd love for you to text that. Love for you to come talk to me. Talk to one of the people over here who will pray later. Believe in Jesus. For the rest of us who have believed in Jesus, just rest. Just rest. Maybe that rest looks like reminding ourselves, so just reminding ourselves of what he did. When Paul in this Colossians passage, when he talks about Jesus's circumcision versus the physical one, he calls the physical one a circumcision made by hands. We don't got people, I don't think we have too many people running around telling us to circumcise ourselves, but I think there are people running around with other forms of circumcision made by hands, other other signs and and processes and practices where they say you've got to show this before you're really in God's blessed people. 
For, for instance, society might have, might have put its hands on Christianity and construed its own way of Christianity where they say, well, if you're really a follower of Jesus, that means voting this way. If you're really a follower of Jesus, that means committing yourself to this cause. And you're not legit until we see you do that. Breathe. Just remind yourself, everything I ever needed was accomplished at Calvary. Or maybe we'll, we'll come up with our own circumcision made by hands and place it on other people. Um, a few years ago, I had someone in our parking lot in this church um, say to me in a conversation, they said, there's no way you can vote this political party and be a Christian. That's a circumcision made by hands. And we'll, we'll, we'll come up with certain standards or processes or, or, or behaviors or signs that we'll require of other people that will say, I'll, I'll consider you legitimately in once I see you doing that. We might have to remind ourselves everything they ever needed was accomplished at Calvary. And then sometimes the last one, we'll, we'll, we'll put that thing on ourself. We'll see other people in the church. We'll see other people in the community and say, unless I look like that, unless I do that, unless I'm this, I'm not actually in. And I'm not talking about believing in Jesus. I'm talking about other stuff. Unless I have this position within the church, I don't feel like I'm actually in. And unless I, I, I display this spiritual gift, I don't feel like I'm actually in. And unless I, I dress like this family and unless my family looks like that family, I don't feel like we're actually in. Listen to me, friends. Breathe. All that you ever needed. I want us to be a community that constantly reminds ourselves of this. As we continue to pray and, 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 and partner with God and, and all kinds of people being brought into this community, hopefully people, hopefully people who are in desperate situations and, and dead broke and, and completely broken as they walk in, I want us to be careful of trying to disciple them into looking like us before we get in. If they believed, they're in. You ever um, gone into an airport and you're real excited to just get on that plane and enjoy your ride? And so the whole herd of y'all just go through the airport and then they herd you through TSA where they've got you lined up like a bunch of cows going through a, this line. And the TSA workers are just yelling at you, yelling at you like you stole something. And it's 5 a.m. and they're throwing your computer all everywhere and they're just taking all of your dignity away at the way that they're talking to you. They're like, show us your ID. Do all this stuff. Go through the line. Do this. And everyone just wants to get on the plane and enjoy the ride. So they do it. And so as we're going through the process and showing them what they want to see, there's this line over here where these happy people with Starbucks in their hands are just walking right on through. And they got that little sign up there that says TSA pre-check. They don't got to show anything in that moment. They don't got to go through any process because there is a previous interaction that had happened to where everything that needed to be done for them to get through was done in the past. They just walk through, get on the plane and enjoy that ride. I just sat here and talked for 20 minutes because I want you to know, church, 
that, that you've been pre-checked. Christ did everything that needed to be done for you to, for you to come on in and enjoy all the blessings of the covenant. Everything you ever needed. He, he already did it so you can enjoy the blessing of being chosen. You can enjoy the blessing of being adopted. You can enjoy the blessing of the, having the spirit seal you. You can enjoy the blessing of the gifts. You can have the blessing of, of intimacy with the father. You can have the blessing of being on mission. You can have the blessing of this peace. You can have the blessing of provision. You can freely enjoy those blessings because 2000 years ago, Jesus did all that was needed to be done for you to Come into the covenant blessings. We just remind ourselves. Let's let's stand together. We're um we're gonna go to the tables for communion now. Um, and as we go, I want us to to rejoice in what Jesus has done for us. Um, normally we take communion um, as families with kids. So we're going to give some extra time for that. So parents, if you have kids in the three to six year olds or seven to 11 year olds, after I get done praying, you can go pick up your children, come back in and take communion. We'll leave time for you to do that. Um, then after that, we'll sing one more song and we'll end it up. So I'm going to pray and then we can move. Father, thank you. Thank you for this grace. Thank you that we, we did nothing for this true circumcision. And there's nothing we got to do on top of it. You've given it to us freely, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. You're better than we thought. You're better than we know. Thank you for it. Speak, speak that truth even now down into the pits of our soul. It's where we really, really believe, Jesus, that you give it. You gave us a spiritual circumcision. You, you gave us a place in the covenant people of God that the work was finished. Help us to know it. Help us to be a community that, that, that rejoices in it, that tells others of it, that, that treats others in line of this reality. And Jesus did it all. We thank you. Amen.